What's up, ladies and gents, and welcome back to the intro. I'm sitting down with only one main man of fitness today, Mr. James Hobart. Max is off saving the world somewhere at CrossFit Tilt. And we kind of have a really interesting topic to discuss this morning in terms of things like prerequisite strength or prerequisite skills before you do certain movements in the CrossFit sphere. And this has been something that's been kind of a hot topic almost throughout my entire experience in CrossFit is like, what do you need to do before you do or attempt a certain type of movement? And the higher skill movements are typically the ones that get the attention, right? The muscle up, the handstand push up, the kipping pull up, the kipping toes to bar, the squats, nasty overhead squat. And James being the pseudo lawyer researcher that he is found an article on the morning chalk up the, uh, preeminent kind of, uh, I don't know what it is. The preeminent news outlet for the CrossFit community. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I, I still, I still check it. Um, I was watching, um, sign uh, an episode of Seinfeld last night and it was the episode in which Kramer goes down to, um, Del Boca Vista phase three and he's running for the president, <laughs> the presidency. And uh, is it like the HOA thing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and they call it the Boca breeze is the, uh, the little news outlet and Jerry's dad calls it a pinko commie rag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Well, we're not, we're not saying that about the morning chaga. No, it's, not, um, no, 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 no. it's very funny though. Um, I have said before though, I do want to start a legitimate TMZ style for CrossFit. Like I want to do the people magazine of CrossFit where it's just gossip. insider. Yeah. Insider gossip uh, fashion trends, you know, what did, you know, what does Pat Vellner drink in his shake or like, what's his morning exfoliation routine? Um, I think that would be, it'd be fun to do for like a week just to like launch an Instagram account and see what you could. So not quite meme territory, but definitely not, not essential news. Like a a little bit salacious type of, uh, Mm. grocery store, checkout counter magazine type of periodical. Yeah. Well, it's the 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 whole CrossFit rumor mill has like I mean maybe I'm just paying attention to it a little less, but I I don't think that that's fully the case. It definitely has slowed down. I one of the things that I've noticed is like as the sponsorships for athletes have seemingly narrowed, right? Like at one point we had major players in the arena, major footwear and apparel companies, Nike and Reebok in an all out arms race at one point to yeah. sign everybody under the sun. Yeah. Um, and then other s- smaller brands got in the mix too. other small, smaller footwear and apparel brand. It seems as though that was one of the big drivers of a lot of like the, the gossip, not the, not all the gossip, but the gossip, the, the news, the, the who's who, the what's going on the who's with who type of deal in the CrossFit space. And I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but like since those companies have mostly stepped out of the arena, I don't think that they are actively signed, at least to my knowledge, are actively signing anybody. It seems as though that type of CrossFit news has slowed. Yeah, I, I think it has. I think it's a good thing though. I did just see shout out, shout out to uh local homie, the, you know, the, 
the good dude himself, Josh Bridges, just got uh, just did a inked a deal with Rad, the shoe company. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that there's still companies out there that are are signing athletes, but you know, Rad is a homegrown CrossFit company. Noble is the same. Uh, the company what TYR or is it TRY and TYR? I think it's Tier, like the uh, what is it? Uh, not not Greek god, uh, Norse god, maybe tears and Norse god. Well, they were the famously the swim, uh, a very yeah. swim focused company for a long time, but they're in the game right now, signing a lot of athletes. They seem to be one of the bigger players. But hey, congratulations to Josh Bridges, man. Josh is killing it still. I uh, see him working out in his garage all the time. Hey, um, he's he still gets gets after it, man. It's funny. Um, it's just so impressive to me, and I know I've said this a bazillion times, and I don't think you have to be like a you know, a multi-time games athlete who's still hammering it to be fit. I, I'm pretty blown away at how fit CrossFit training can keep people as they get older, right? Going the party line there a thousand percent. But even in our gym, I just taught class this morning, you know, some rowing repeats. And uh, I'm just, I'm just shocked at how fit people can be. It's wild to me. Anyway, yeah, less gossip. I think we need more of it. I want, I want a lot of, <laughs> I think I might start it. I will say, um, I've been a big fan, you know, um, don't, don't, don't unsubscribe to this podcast, but, um, coffee pods and wads, Peter up there. He, uh, he just does this really beautiful dry humor satire sometimes. And, um, I don't know, I really appreciate it. And speaking of like, uh, not memes, but like, it's like satire, um, Podium and Matt Fraser just put out this video of, um, oh God, well, I can't remember his name, the strongman athlete. Gosh, and I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I can't remember his name, but they basically do it in like a grand theft auto fashion and they have people acting. Mm. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, haven't seen it, go over to Matt Fraser or Podium, um, supplements. We're not sponsored by Podium, but if they're looking, you know, Podium supplements sponsor the intro podcast. I'll drink, I'll drink a gallon of pre-workout on the next episode if you guys want to sponsor us. But um, the video is, especially for those of us that are old like me, play the old Grand Theft Autos, it's hysterical. Um, anyway, yeah, that could be, maybe that's my next move is uh, TMZ Fit. Editor-in-chief. What Editor would you call it? I'd have to, let me think have, on that and I'll get something back to clever. Us. We'd need Max in here for the title of Hobart's yeah. Poe something or other. It might be called like the dirty, like, you know how clean and jerk, maybe like the dirty jerk or something. Oh, I don't no, know. That sounds I, like a bad, we should do an episode on all the bad CrossFit team names at local competitions. Oh, yeah. I wish we had video too. Cause I, the other thing I, I get, you know, I like, and I, there's some of this, I appreciate, right? Like where we came from the skull and crossbones, like work out until you crap your pants kind of attitude. <laughs> um, some of the old logos affiliates. Oh my have. goodness. And, um, I, I shout this out with love to you guys. I, you know, I was part of it. Um, shut my door. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, some of the old logos, you know, what was CF and E what was like, it was breathe like fire, raise hell. Yeah. Burn down the town and yeah. Breathe fire, raise hell. And it was like a dragon, the painting in the gym, the dragon standing atop mountains of skulls. <laughs> Remember it's, that? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Times have changed. They have changed. And it's funny because I think there's so much discussion now about, well, our gyms need to be inviting to people. And I'm like, well, all of the, you know, it was a pretty good mix of people. Like the demographic was pretty broad. And these guys were all coming in and they loved the dragon standing on top of the skull. So I, I don't know. It's, well, it's definitely uh, a different vibe. I think the, the community was, well, it was smaller. There was different expectations. There were 
we didn't know what we didn't know, but there was also a beauty to some of that stuff too. I think that there was like a really raw beauty to what that felt like when you were in those types of gyms and those environments. And I'm not saying that it was like a wanton and reckless environment, but it certainly was not buttoned up in the same regard that a lot of the gyms, a lot of top gyms right now are really buttoned up like, and, yeah. um, it's good now. It was good then. And, uh, it's cool to look back and appreciate the past, but it's also extremely important to live in the present and appreciate the present. So got to yeah. try to do that as well, but let's get back on the, sorry, um, way off track here. No, 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 no. TMZ fit coming to you, coming to a, uh, Instagram reel near you soon. Keep your eyes out. Editor in chief, James Hobart. We'll keep our eyes out. Let's talk about this prerequisite strength topic, because I think that this is something that I think both for athletes and coaches could be really important to think about. And, you know, our opinions are just our opinions. And I think everybody has a little bit of a different route to get their athletes going or to answer questions about these types of things. But what are the prerequisites for things like muscle ups? Muscle ups is the movement that's going to take you from below, uh, position of support, whether that's on a bar or a pair of rings and bring you above it and then pressing out to a full extension of the elbow. And it's a skill-driven movement in the gymnastics community. It's actually a really basic movement in the traditional gymnastics community. It's it's like a position to get to another yeah. position to do work. It's not like the movement that scores them points or anything like that. But in CrossFit, this is a movement that gets performed in workouts and it's a higher skill gymnastics movement. And there are a lot of people that want to attempt either a first ring muscle up or a first bar muscle up. And, you know, you get into this whole idea of before you even get there, you know, you, you have to understand how to do a pull up or a kipping pull up. Maybe, um, there are strict variations of the muscle up on the rings. There are strict variations in the muscle up on the bar. It's a lot harder because you have to fall script over the bar. But in terms of like, what do you need to have before you attempt something like that? So muscle up was one. And then the kipping pull-ups, another big one. Like how many strict pull-ups should an athlete have before they get into kipping? And James, I want you to take over here and kind of give a little bit of your insight and like maybe a little bit of highlight from what that morning chalk up article was saying. Well, before, about before we get to the article, yeah, I'll say the morning, the article right here without diving in too deeply, there's, they do a bunch of movements. So we can chat about that, but they lay out one, two, three, three prerequisites, um, three specific things with, with reps, three prerequisites for the ring muscle. But what I want to know is what are yours? If you have any, you could say, get it, just get up there and kip as hard as you can. Who cares what happens? But what are your prerequisites? If you had to lay out three, let's stick it to that so we can compare apples to oranges here. For the ring muscle up specifically. Yeah, ring muscle up. What are your three prerequisites? You well, can put I think, reps on them, anything. Gosh. The most important thing would I think, the most important one would be that the athlete has to have both the awareness and the understanding of how to support themselves if and when they get to the bottom of the dip position in the muscle up, and then also the top of the dip position in the muscle up. So they have to have the ability to support their own body weights in a stable fashion at the bottom of the dip and at the top of the dip. Because in any muscle up, really, when you see it go wrong on the rings, mm. when it goes catastrophically wrong, I mean, there's been obviously other fit points of failure, but like 
Usually what happens is the athlete has the power through the hip to get themselves up and above the rings, but then not the strength or the awareness to hold that bottom of the dip position. And then kind of famously one arm or both arms kind of chicken wing out and they lose the position very, very quickly, or they get to the bottom of the dip and they struggle really mightily to control that position. And then maybe they can bring their knees up to their chest or squeeze their glutes or kind of kip up to the top of the dip. And then they don't have the stability there either. So I think the stability of the positions below the rings and above the ring, excuse me, in the bottom of the dip and the top of the dip are extremely important because those are the major two points of failure, at least that I see once the athlete understands how to utilize the hip, because that gives them the power to get to the position where they might not have the strength to support themselves. So that would be a prerequisite number one. I think a prerequisite number two, I don't necessarily know if like you need to be able to do a strict muscle up before you do a kipping muscle up, but you should Mm. at least have the ability, in my opinion, to do a strict controlled ring pull up, have the ability to control yourself, get your chest to the rings with that strict pull And I don't necessarily think like having the ability to turn it over in the strict position is as important as having the pull because you can work that strict or the transition in an unweighted or a kind of reduced loaded environment by having your feet on the ground or gradually Mm -hmm. taking your feet off the ground or using one foot. So you can work that transition through and feel it out so that when you do get to the point of having the amount of power that you need to go from below the rings to above the rings that you understand how that position works. But I would say stability in the dip positions would be number one, the ability to perform the strict pull would be number two. And then I would stick, probably stick with the strict strength above the rings and go the ability to perform a strict ring dip, because once you do get above the rings, and you're in that bottom of the dip position, that's going to be the deepest and darkest dip that you've seen. And you do probably need to have the ability to get yourself out of that hole. And if you don't know how to perform or you don't have the prerequisite strength to perform a ring dip, simply getting your knees up or creating that momentum out of the hip, higher the probability that you know you might lose the upper body kinesthetic awareness to keep the rings close to your body. So like long-winded way of saying number one would be stability in the positions in the dip. Number two would be the pull, having the strength to get that strict pull, get those rings pretty close, darn close to your chest. And then number three would be the the strict dip out of the bottom of a dip. Just one. So I, I like that. I like that a lot. I think for me, the, uh, the stabilizing the rings, I've been saying this lately, it's not the handstand push up, man. The ring's the king. I think if you're good at strict ring dips, like good, real good, I think you don't have pressing problems. I think the handstand pushup is way easier um, than the strict ring dip. Just my hot take right there. So if you uh, if you want to develop that upper body strength, seated dumbbell press overhead and then ring dips. But okay, the article says five strict pull. Excuse me. So this is for the ring muscle up. Mm. Five strict pull ups. Five strict ring dips. I like that one. And then uh, weighted pull up at twenty five percent of your body weight. 
I don't know if that one's as important. Mm, doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. I think for me, I really like the strict ring dip one just because I totally agree with you. I think that's where things get wonky is just the stabilization of the rings and then getting used to that range of motion, right? Because you're catching that sucker pretty damn low. And I would also say, I think it's funny. They don't differentiate between strict or kipping ring muscle, but they don't differentiate between that. So for me, it's like, I think you need to have some kipping pull-up capability and kipping ring capability because you want to be able to balance control that thing in a dynamic plane. So, um, but one, I, I don't know, that's, we don't have to go into that too much. I like yours for me, it's more about stabilizing the rings throughout the dip, um, and teaching people how to swing on the rings. I thought it was interesting that there was no discussion on here. Like, Hey, you should be able to do 10 kip swings on a ring or 10 kipping pull-ups on rings, you know, like not actually using the implement, but I think it's a good start. Um, I wonder how much, how many of us, it says right here in the article, do some people ignore or skip these prerequisites? Yes, of course. But they say, however, their progress will likely stall or be halted early and they will be forced to revisit these steps once skipped, which I thought was interesting. And, um, I was talking to Adrian Bosman yesterday and then Mm. it reminded me of something, this article reminded me of something he talked about once, which was this concept of, you know, there's not necessarily fundamentally anything wrong with kipping. The problem with kipping is I think it just makes the end goal the only goal, right? Whereas, you know, the, the goal of getting the kipping muscle up, to your point, is learning how do I stabilize rings? How do I have a nice deep ring dip, right? There's all these steps along the way that actually give me progress as an athlete. And I do think it's easy to become too quickly, um, I don't know, kind of caught up in just getting, hey, can I just get on top of the rings? Like, can I just do that? Rather than being like, well, what are, you know, how competent am I in the components of the movement? Because if you are very competent in the components of ring dip, pull up, kip swings on rings, kipping pull up, chest bar pull up, kipping ring dip, you're going to be great on a muscle up once you link together the technique. Mm. Um, anyway. I, no, I think that's a really good point. I also think like taking a reflection, sometimes this is hard to communicate to the athlete and also hard to communicate to yourself, but taking a reflection of like, why do you want to accomplish this thing so badly? Is it just because it's a a cool feat of strength? And if that's the case, okay, I can understand that to a certain extent, but understanding that these, and this is something that, you know, I've, I've certainly made the mistake of before my athletic careers. Like if you get better at the things the constituent parts or the, the the different parts and pieces of the movement that will eventually get to the full movement, like you'll necessarily get fitter along the way than just trying to work the end state movement, right? Like if you're able to, and this is the boring stuff that I don't think a lot of us want to do, but if you're able to work your strict pull-up to the point where you do have competency in the strict pull-up, and I'm not going to put a specific number on it, but like yeah, you can do some strict pull-ups and you can do them consistently. And then, okay, from there, I'm going to work the kipping pull-up and I'm going to get really good at initiating the kip through my shoulders and having uh, the rigid midline that I need during that kipping movement to really generate a whole lot of force to get you know the, the chin above the bar when I do go to open up the hip. Okay, cool. Can I now do, and can I string kipping pull-ups together without you know, everything going crazy as soon as I start to like get my hands on the bar and move back and forth. And then working, you know, jumping transitions and working low ring transitions and all those kinds of things. Like, I think 
not only will that movement that you want to get that muscle up or whatever it is that we're talking about, not only will that be there in a fashion that's probably, I mean, can you get there faster than doing all that stuff? Probably. But like, will you get there in a, maybe more in a safer way in a, in a way that, you know, when you're expressing the movement, it actually looks like, Oh, wow, that was a, a pretty decent, you know, attempt. But like your body is going to get accustomed to doing those things. And like, you're going to develop physically, mentally, emotionally, <laughs> think a lot better than if you're just kind of standing below the rings and, you know, every day, just trying to get yourself above the rings, no matter what, with any sort of any technique available, right? Like whatever's going to work. What's up, ladies and gents, MDV here. Excuse the brief interruption to your normally scheduled intro programming, but if you're a gym owner, turn on your listening ears. It's time to learn about the NC Fit Collective. The NC Fit Collective is designed exclusively for gym owners who want to source their programming from the people who know it best. We create 365 days a year of result-driven, fun, and challenging workouts, all designed to be done in a class environment. And there's no nonsense, none of this stuff that might show up that your members are gonna groan or moan at. We are throwing our fastball every single time. And all of those workouts are backed up by a class plan, which you can utilize not only for your coaches to go out there and be fully prepared, but to develop them over the course of many repetitions. Every single time they take the floor, they're gonna get a little bit better. Check out nc.fit backslash programming to learn more. When I see athletes trying to get their first muscle up, there's a lot of cases in which like they're just trying to get above the rings with any version of body movement possible. Any, 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 ling, any limb moving to get them or any lever moving. Swing in all the appendages. Yeah, swing Gain momentum everywhere. <laughs> swing in everything to go Hell from yeah. below to above. And um yeah. I, what's your take there? Um, no, man, I, I'm right in line with you there. And I can't say this enough, right? Because I think coaches listen to this and they're like, oh, that's great, guys. How do we do it in a class? I cannot say this enough. We did a workout, uh, capped at a workout on Monday, Tara, hard, AMRAP 9, uh, 9 burpees to a target, 10 alternating uh, pistols, single leg squats. Um, so I cannot say this enough. You have to build scaling options into your warmups. And what's great about that is for the advanced athlete who can do 80 pistols in a row, good for you, Billy Badass, they actually get physically warmed up. They can refine the quality of their movement. And then for somebody who's brand new, they can work through those progressive steps as you're going through your general warmup and they'll find the best fit scaling option for them to use in the workout or the one that they want to use the most to maybe target a specific weakness and everybody gets to participate. Like it is such a good thing to do in group classes. So what do I mean? Okay. Maybe step one is just like, we're going to do a long reverse lunge, right? Great scaling option for a single leg squat. Stay, you know, you go through that a couple of rounds. Step two might be something like, Hey, we're all going to do a alternating single leg squat to a 20 inch, box. 24 inch box. Yeah. And you get the idea, right? And so we make the progressions get a little tougher, a little tougher, but everybody gets warmed up physically in the way that we need to ready for full range of motion, movement, intensity, but also those athletes who need it, want it, find a scaling option that targets that weakness. So the principle you're talking about, I'm right in line with, I think that's the application of how you have to do it. Cause otherwise people don't, people aren't going to do skill practice. Um, some will. 
but a small, small percentage. And it's mm. like, you have to kind of trick people to it or not trick them, make it enticing um, for them to do it. And the other upside of doing that progression is you actually will get to coach your advanced athletes. Cause you'll see them break it down piece by piece. And you'll be like, wow, James can do 80 pistols in a row, but his heel never touches the ground. And now in one of these progressions, you can say, hey, James, just focus on keeping your heel on the ground, right? So we can be more specific and intentional there. So yeah, I think I'm right in line with there, with you 100%. The, the one thing I wanted to point out here though, I this progression is a baller one or prerequisite. This article, um, not knocking the author, whoever it is, uh, Ben Wise, he says for kipping toes to bar, 60 second hang from the pull-up bar. That's a good, talk about something we don't do enough of, right? Like how, when was the last time? Um, and I bring this up cause I did it. My buddy, I work with challenged me to this last week. Um, we were, I'm going all over the place, but we're reading this article by Peter, Peter Atia. Mm-hmm. He's like a big, big health doctor guru. Yep. And he was basically talking about how important grip strength is for sure. Um, and correlated to health and longevity. Cor- yeah. Correlated to, um, longevity. Yeah. He's a, he fo- kind of quoted a famous multiple on morbidity with that. Yeah. And I don't remember the details, so I won't go into it. But basically my, it was about hanging from a bar for two minutes and I was like, shit, I can do that. No problem. It was hard. Um, and so now I've been incorporating holds into my warm up. but anyway, I'd be curious to see regardless of how many toes to bar you have, 60 second hang from a pull bar. What a great stepping stone. Like just one of those little fitness milestones to be like, oh yeah, I can do that. And for me, that's one of the reasons I like these prerequisites. It's not to hold people back. It's not to punish people, but it's like, hey, if you can accomplish some of these prerequisites, like that's just another tool in your toolbox, right? Another weapon in the arsenal and just something else you checked off the list of like, oh yeah, I can do that thing, which I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a huge fan of, you know, when it, when it comes to fitness, um, I just thought that was a beastly prerequisite was this 60 second hang from the pull bar. Well, that's a great one. I mean, um, there was a, uh, CrossFit.com workout, man, many moons ago, that was an AMRAP 20 of a chin above the bar hold, a squat hold, and I believe a dead hang hold. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was different increments of time for each one of those things. And that was, that was the AMRAP. Um, there might've been a plank hold in there as well. But, um, one of the things like when you first get an athlete on the pull-up bar, you know, we are very, very focused on making sure that they know how to hold themselves in a supported position and initiate the kip. But I think that that's a great point. We're not always so focused on how long can they hold themselves in a supported position hanging from the bar. And when you first get an athlete doing kipping pull-ups, because the power is coming primarily from the hip, you don't necessarily always have the grip strength to support yourself. The hip is going to overpower the athlete at one point where you might lose your grip before you lose the power to keep pulling. So, you know it's an unfortunate event when you see an athlete kind of uh, start to lose their grip on the bar and the thumbs start to peel and, you know, that last kip. And I've seen athletes fall off the bar doing, you know, kipping movements, which is a very, very scary um, place to be. But definitely an interesting prerequisite before the kipping toast to bar. I mean, the kipping pull-up is a 60 second 
dead hanghold for sure. And the, one of the things that's tough about all these is like, these aren't, I don't want to say they're completely arbitrary, but they're very, very subjective. You know, I <laughs> yeah, think for sure, I think everybody might have a little bit of a different list. And when you, when you look at certain athletes, you might, you know, adjust those lists, even based on the particular athlete that you're talking about, or like, you know, what, what would they have to show you before they attempt, you know, doing one of these types of movements? And this is one of the things I think that makes coaching group classes both very interesting, but also very difficult is the fact that you have to have that ability to like make these decisions mm. on the fly and talk to your athletes in a way that like they understand why you might be asking them to show you some of these things before they go and try this, you know, very sexy movement. But like what, so you, what was your list in terms of the, the ring muscle up again? Oh, I don't know. I've actually, what's cool about this is I've never really thought about this. Um, but I think, you know, looking, listening to yours, looking at this one, I think, you know, if I was to go off the cuff and I'm thinking beforehand, right? So if you're doing kipping, I'm assuming you've done some strict practice. So I would say probably something like five kipping ring pull-ups, like, and then I would say in the range, like, I want to see your ability to do kipping ring pull-up. Where are they pulling to there? As, like, as as low on the body as possible, right? With so the rings getting, close together? Yeah. Mm. Right. Because, and the other reason is, is like, you just don't want to set them up for failure. You know, hey, go up there and, oh, you can do a ring pull up and they barely get that thing to their chompers, you know? And it's like, okay, well, you're not going to get this. <laughs> you know, go, go ahead, try it. So more of like a skill specific ring pull up. Yeah. Almost like a chest to ring pull up. But I think that's, you know, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, I would want to see like five to 10 strict and five to 10 kipping ring dips. Cause I do think that's part of it is like, you might have a strict ring dip in control, but people get surprised how the rings move under speed. And I think if you have some capacity at kipping, um, you'll be a little bit more prepared for that. I don't know if I would have like a weighted pull-up percentage of body weight. I don't mm -hmm. think that's a bad thing again. Cause obviously this is one of those, like, you know, those kum these kumbaya, like it's not the destination, it's the journey approaches, but that's the whole point. If you're training for a weighted pull-up and you're training to improve your strict ring dips and you're training for strict pull-ups, kipping pull-ups, and you're training to stabilize the rings, you're going to be better at a ring muscle-up rather than not having done those things. Right. So, um, yeah. And the other th nice thing about the ring muscle up is you can get people starting it from the floor, from the knees, yeah. leg assisted pretty damn soon. And you can make that sucker hard. You know, I've said this for a long time. I see a lot of other coaches say this underused tool, underused tool. Um, and everybody always bitches like, what's the point of doing a ring muscle up from the floor? They don't all sound like that, but most of them do. <laughs> um, and I'm like, and I'm like, well, it's going to increase your pressing and pulling range of motion. It's going to increase the range of motion about the shoulder. Um, you can make it so innocuous by using the legs, the risk of injury is very low. And you actually learn the technique, when to pull, when to drive your head through, when to transition, you start learning how to stabilize the rings. So I think there's a lot of you know, if you can set up a bunch of low rings in your gym as a warm up, just you know, having people do that, it's a great warm up. Any workout too for upper body, um, and that's going to get them closer to a muscle up. One of the things I, that's tough about this conversation too is like the sixty minutes that you have for class isn't always enough time 
to sure. do all of these things. Like you get to work on parts and pieces, even when you're teaching a full movement for the muscle up, you might be focusing on, on a particular part and piece of it. And if you have somebody who's starting very, very early in the muscle up journey, you they have to have the understanding, you have to have the understanding that like it's not all going to be transmitted in the one time that muscle ups show up that week or the one time that muscle ups show up every other week or what, however frequently, frequently or unfrequently they show up in your program, that there needs to be skill work that's done outside of the class environment if the athlete wants to get to the destination sooner than mm -hmm. later. Will they get there eventually over time? Maybe, but like that journey is going to be much longer. And one of the things I think that I want your opinion on this, James, that like is an interesting balance to strike is like athletes obviously are coming in for a workout. Yeah. Right. They're coming in to get a workout. And in a lot of ways, what that workout probably means to them is like, they want to feel exerted. They want to feel physically tired. They want to get whatever energy that they have kind of out. And they want to be able to be like, wow, that was a really great experience for me. And, you know, I, I feel like I've earned it today. Yeah. When, when you have these, and we've talked about this before in terms of like more skill driven days generally, but when you change a component of a workout, to be a more skill-driven component where the athlete is necessarily slowing down or doing repetitions that maybe aren't happening under load or speed or whatever, are they missing out on their workout? Yeah, you know, this is something, um, I do really like this topic because I think it's it's a real issue. Um, hold on, I let my dog in, he's losing it. One second, I think, one second. Okay. While James is letting the dog in, let's talk about, oh, he's a back already. He tries to open the door. Um, <laughs> he's pretty, pretty smart, but also not smart. Um, I think this is an important thing to talk about. We almost about. had time for a commercial break there, by the way, but um, we didn't have brought, time. brought to you by Podium Pre, I don't know what they're, they probably got some great pre-workout over there, Podium. Um, just saying, sponsor the intro. Um, what were we talking about? Getting a workout. This is something I'm way more sensitive to now. And I was just telling, um, Cassandra last week. And I said, you know, I came inside after a, a longer workout and I go, you know, more and more now, like, I just want to do a workout that's a little bit longer and, you know, like moderate to high intensity. And I feel like I spent 20, 25 minutes moving, like truly moving. Um, and that's not to say I'm not disrespecting the efficacy of the Fran and the Diane and the Jackies, the short sprint stuff that we see that's so potent inside of CrossFit. All I'm saying is like, I have much more compassion and empathy for people who say that, especially like I'm driving to the gym for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, right? And then I'm going to drive home from the gym for 30, 40 minutes, and I'm going to spend time showering and changing, right? So it's like, if the investment of me getting ready to work out is more effort, more time than the workout itself... Gosh, especially if that's happened consistently, I think that's kind of a bummer. Um, one of the things I try really hard to do is I, and it's like, I don't, you know, I follow, we follow cap at our gym cap. I, I don't want to regularly, frequently, not frequently on a recurring basis. Cap will do two parts to a workout mm. strength plus Metcon skill plus Metcon, whatever, whatever, like, but it does not happen all the time. It's a bit more traditional in that CrossFit sense of like, you're generally seeing one main piece for intensity. 
But what I try really hard to do is make sure the warm up progressively gets people a little sweaty, a little out of breath. And I try not to be boring. I try and plan stuff out. So I'm giving you just enough time to rest and feel like it's a warm up, regardless of your skill level. But you are getting like 60 minutes of no bullshit movement, right? Like from start, I am trying really hard, other than my long ass whiteboard briefs, to keep people moving for 50 minutes. Mm. Um, because I do think that's important. You are not at the gym to listen to me talk. You are here to learn skills. I do believe that's part of CrossFit, right? Like if you're doing CrossFit, you you are signing up for developing physical skills, which does require some learning, which does require some slowing down. But I'm trying to do that in a way where it's like, you're still moving. And I'm layering those skills progressively. So it's like the newbies can follow along. And because I'm layering, layering in them, layering them in progressively and keeping people moving, the more advanced athletes don't feel like they've missed a beat. They're not standing around board. Like, mm -hmm. I just, I try so freaking hard to do that. Um, and I do, I think that's really important. I can't say that enough. And there are days that are a little bit slower, but even on like, if we have just, as they say, quote unquote, just a heavy day, we're going to do a sweaty warm up. We're probably going to, you know, low key work on some skill. Um, we're going to do a lot of warm up sets because especially with novice to intermediate lifters, which pretty much everyone in a CrossFit gym is because you're not lifting every damn day. Um, you, volume is really good for you at, at lower intensities, grease mm -hmm. the groove, learn the movement, refine technique. Actually, you know, everyone, if you've ever coached the class coaches and by set four, your athletes, like, I finally feel warmed up. That is a fucking surefire sign. You are not warming your athletes up enough. Set four of the working sets. Yeah. Like, let's say you're doing like a five or let's say, I don't know, five by five back squat. And if around the third or fourth set of that working back squat set, they're like, I'm not warmed up enough. You have not warmed your athletes up enough. Um, and you got to learn how to do that better. So a little bit of a soapbox there, but that's how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. I think NC fits a little bit different. So for NC fit programming with the collective, we probably are about 50, 50 in days, 50%, 50%, maybe a little bit more actually, maybe like 60, 40, where we have multiple parts and pieces to a day. Um, and there are certainly some days where we just have the workout and some days where we have a very intense workout. Um, but m a lot of the time we're seeing, we have either a strength session, a skill session, or an extended warm up that leads into a workout. And we do yeah. provide an optional cool down um, every day as well. And the goal of those sessions obviously is not only to allow the athlete to, you know, continue to move and experience time and attention through load and the strength sessions, but in the skill and the extended warmup. And then a lot of times some of the strength sessions too, is like you are building the necessary parts and pieces to movements or getting certain loading or um, movement patterns underneath your belt before getting into the workout and then adequately getting into the workout with enough repetition before, you know, getting after it. And, um, I, I think that that's hard. Some, it's hard to do sometimes because it takes more, takes more discipline. If you're just looking at, okay, Hey, I've got this 10 minute workout that I've got on my 60 minute timeline. It takes a lot more discipline and confidence, I think, to put together that full class plan of how am I going to now fill the hour to get the athletes two, three, two, one, go. Um, and what am I going to do if I have 20 minutes left? Or what if I, what am I going to do if I, if I don't know how to fill that whole hour? So, um, I think, I think you can effectively run classes, obviously both ways. 
Um, but in terms of, you know, what we were talking about in prerequisite strength, having dedicated time for skill sessions, I love when we have in the um, NC Fit Collective, I love when we have 15 minute running clock skill sessions or, you know, 10 minute running clock skill sessions where the coach has the ability to, you know, assign athletes based on where they're at, um, different parts and pieces or has options for the athletes to kind of pick up and say, okay, this is where I'm at with this movement. And if you've never, there was a all like back in the day at CFNE, we used to do that, um, goat day. Remember goat day? Oh yeah. I remember goat. I mean, I remember all that, that whole trend and tell me, tell me a little bit about goat day. <laughs> What's got your goat? What is, what was goat day? Goat day. Well, goat, uh, it's not greatest of all time, but goat stands for a movement or a position or a skill that kind of eludes you something that is challenging for you, something that you're still working on, but it was a imam, I believe 20 minute imam, uh, minute one, minute two. And you would pick one goat per minute and you would work a skill or a position and you could progress it through that imam. Um, and there's different iterations of how you could run goat day. But like, I think that that's a really cool way of doing it, even in a shorter skill session, if you have like an imam for 10 minutes of giving the athlete something to work on for skill-driven practice for 30 or 45 seconds on one minute. And then the second minute, you can either do something that gets their heart rate up or something that's a little bit more in their wheelhouse, but that kind of toggle between, oh, I'm going to practice and intensity, I think is a really cool way. If, you, if you're just looking for ways in your warmups or extended warmups to maybe spice up some of that skill practice, that alternating imam between one minute where they're working on something more intentionally and the second minute where maybe they're breathing a little bit heavier, I think is a cool way to do it. Yeah. Um, that's a great little takeaway for all the coaches out there. I was just thinking recently we had a day and I believe it was a, a monostructural. So a classic cardio day it was repeating like row or bike intervals. Um, and I knew the programming coming up next week. So we did an imam with pull-ups, bar muscle-ups or muscle-ups. And I told athletes, pick a number where you can sustain that three, same number throughout this 10 minutes. And you can choose pull-up, chest bar pull-up, bar muscle-up, muscle-up. So we warmed up for that skill and you pick sustainability, right? Because we're not trying to burn them out with intensity. We're just trying to get them to practice the skill. And it was a really cool way to do it. And then we, we because the, the workout itself, you know, other than getting a general warm-up in, I didn't need to do a lot with these guys to get them to where they need to be. Um, I think that's a great way to approach it. And I've said this a million times, if all you want to do and keep it simple, this is why I started CrossFit was the simplicity, the the time-saving aspect of it. The least you need to do to get fitter for a lifetime, warm up, one workout a day, cool down. Be, you know, follow variants and all the other CrossFit protocols, scale to your needs, bang, that'll do it. But, you know, you go back and you read Greg's What is Fitness, Greg Glassman, founder of CrossFit. And, um, you know, I don't think everything Greg said was gospel. This is important to say, because I think one of the best things he said is that, like, this is to some extent an experiment. There are four corners to the document, right? There are some parameters. But within those parameters, we want to learn what is the best approach to creating the fittest humans. And you have seen our approach change over the years. But Greg also said in what is fitness in terms of implementation, he said, you can do a skill, a blistering Metcon and a lift in the same class. 
And he said, you could also do only one of those things in a class. And his contention was that like, you know, we're ultimately going to find through this clinical approach, what is sort of the best, best mix of those things for the athletes you're training. And I do encourage coaches out there to play around with this stuff in terms of programming. You know, what you're talking about MDV is, is beautiful where coaches probably fall short, right? Is, Hey, I'm just going to hide my shitty ability to coach and manage a group just by stacking on more and more programming. That doesn't make you a great coach. Um, so you do have to pay attention to that. I totally agree, right? It's a, with great power comes um, great coaching ability, responsibility. So yeah, we're, we're on board there. I love that alternating e-month. That's a nice little, nice little takeaway. I had something else I want to talk about, but I totally forgot what it was. So it doesn't matter. Well, I like the, I like the fact that you brought up that like programming can come in all different shapes and sizes. I mean, we've For talked sure. about this before. There's no one perfect CrossFit program. And I think that that's the beauty of it. It's like, it's left up to the interpretation of the person who's authoring it and what the goals of what you want to bring to the people who you are programming for. What, what do you stand for in terms of how you look at the CrossFit doctrine? And we've also talked about how far can you go away from the core doctrine before it doesn't become CrossFit anymore. And you can, you can probably get pretty far away uh, from the core CrossFit doctrine before it's not quote unquote CrossFit anymore. I mean, you'd still have to have a couple of things in there that are reminiscent of it, but I mean, there's a lot of things out there that have changed over the years. And like you're saying, like, it's not just one approach that is the right approach. I think that that's important to, to remember and understand as well. But this whole, like, coming back to the main topic that we we started on here. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> memory right now. Ooh, I yeah. know, I got it. Prerequisite. I know, I was just testing you. I was just testing you. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Prerequisite strength. I think it's important that you have as a coach an understanding like what is important to you in terms of those movements and understanding why you might think that th these prerequisites are important to you. And whether you think it's one rep or three rep or five reps, understanding the major concepts that like, these are the points at which athletes fail and can fail catastrophically in these movements. And that's the reason why you would want to have prerequisites before attempting something like a very dynamic kipping ring muscle up. Because the risk of the athlete failing if they don't have those certain parts and pieces is higher. Yeah. Injury risk is higher. Falling risk is higher. And you don't obviously want to put your athlete into that position. So that's the reason why, at least in my opinion, having some idea about what your prerequisites are, are important. Can you argue over the number of reps and the types of positions and the movements all day? Yes. But ultimately you want to have a short little checklist of, Hey, these are the things that are important before you go to attempt a full kipping ring muscle up. And, you know, we talked about this earlier as well, but I think one of the things that's underutilized a lot are the supported position mm. muscle ups, the, the jumping and the feet on the ground muscle ups. I think that those are fantastic substitutions and, and movement patterns for athletes to master. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think it's fun. I, I do think as an athlete, like there are a lot of athletes in gyms who are sort of like in this intermediate level and they've been doing CrossFit for multiple years, but there are a couple of these movements or a couple like just refined movement patterns that escape them. And breaking things into prerequisites really allows you to see like, just break things down in a way that's sort of fun and attainable again, right? Get that little dopamine hit of like, oh, I did my 60 second hang. Here's the next thing. Cause I, I do feel like when you've been doing CrossFit a long time, it's like, I'm not ever going to PR Fran by a minute again. Mm, you know, it's, it's hard to get like those big, big, big wins. Um, and sometimes those little prerequisite steps for a month or two, super exciting way to just pay attention to a detail and, and feel some accomplishment aside from just, not that it's bad showing up and being consistent. Showing up and being consistent, probably the number one thing. <laughs> For sure. The boring sure. work of showing hard, up and being But sometimes consistent. hard to see what comes from that, right? Like, you know, I've done so many workouts now in my life where it's like, it's hard to see where I'm getting better, but I'm like, okay, I want to be able to hang from a bar now from three minutes. What a weirdo, not weirdo thing to do, but it's just like an odd thing to kind of like Hey, I want to do this goal now, but because I read this article by Peter McGillicuddy, I'm going to go, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, Peter Tia. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go practice this now. And it's, and it's exciting for me, who's a fitness nerd and been doing CrossFit for 15 years. Um, Hanging so. from a bar for three minutes made me think of Alex Holland and free solo. Oh, dude. I mean, dude. I don't think it's the same, but um I just watched a video of a young, I forget her name, this young lady was doing a climb the other day and she was like getting to the top of the climb and she wasn't doing it total free solo. She, should, I don't know what it's called. So she was like anchoring every mm. such and such distance, but uh, she was like shaking to try and hold like this, like she was like pinched herself between rocks. And I saw her pull out like the anchor and it was like shaking. She's holding it in her mouth and you hear, and she's like, oh God, oh God. And she gets there finally, nope. but it was like watching it matters. Your nope. hands are sweating. Nope. <laughs> like, oh my God. Nope. One of the, um, one of the coolest parts about that free solo um, movie, obviously, if you haven't seen free solo, the story of Alex Honnold and, you know, his solo climb of what was the uh, face that he went up against? It's El Cap, right? El Cap, that's in, yeah, that's El Cap. up in Yosemite, I believe. After he completes the climb, goes back to his van and just starts practicing hanging again the same day, just practicing his grips and his hangs the same day. Oh, man. Well, Mr. Hobart, any last Another words? One. Another one. Get out there, work out today, people. Have a good day. Do something nice. Do something nice. Say your prayers. Take your vitamins. Call your mom. Have a great day. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go. Let's go.